if I'm being visible as a role model, then I'm telling, I'm, I'm letting students know that actually you can be Indian um, and you can be gay, you can be a teacher, you can be gay, and you can be liking science. You can love science and still be gay. Um, and that was something that all three of those things are me. So I was like, well, I have to make sure that I um, am able to kind of impart that on um, to my students too. Hi, I'm Joseph. Hello, my name's Adam. Welcome to Pride and Progress, a podcast that celebrates the progress of LGBT plus inclusion in education. Each week, we speak with LGBT plus educators and allies. We hear their stories, discuss what they are doing to make their educational spaces more inclusive, and celebrate the power of diversity. This week, we are really pleased to be welcoming Karen. Karen is a science teacher and uses he, him pronouns. Karen was born in India before moving to Canada with his parents and then later moving to the UK. He received a Bachelor of Science with honours from York University and followed that with a Bachelor of Education from the University of Toronto. He is currently a head of year and a lead practitioner at an all-boys secondary academy and he is joining us today to discuss his experiences of intersectionality working in an all-boys school and being a role model as a gay science teacher. Welcome Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So this podcast is all about sharing the stories of LGBT teachers and showing the power of creating an LGBT community. So I thought it would be nice if we started by discussing how we met. So Karen, would you like to share that story? Sure. Um, so, oh, how many years is it now? I don't even remember. Um, anyway, um, there at one point in the not so distant past, um, there was an LGBT uh, plus educators um, symposium, I guess, um, that was organized. Um, and, um, and it was quite good. Um, so, uh, me and, uh, one of my best friends, um, we basically were like, Hey, let's, let's do it. We're both gay. We're both gay teachers. We'll, we'll see what's up. Um, and, uh, um, just kind of uh, build a bit more community within the other, L with other LGBT educators. Um, so yeah, so we went there, um, we attended quite a, quite a, there were some really interesting sessions, um, and, uh, that's where I ended up meeting Adam. So, um, we were, we were kind of like, we, we were there and we kind of felt like there wasn't enough kind of mixing with people. So it was just kind of like, everybody was like just there kind of on their own almost, um, or like maybe just with one other person there, like we were, uh, but there wasn't much that kind of conversation happening. So we were like, well, let's, you know, let's socialize, let's do something that we came here to do. So um, I think, so we met, we met um, Adam and um, our other friend, Henry, um, and they were just like sitting around. We were just like, we're just going to join them. We just like got chatting and, um, you know, um, several um, kind of random meetups later. Um, we are still, uh, we're still kind of in touch, even though Adam has forsaken London and, and uh, kind of stuck with, with Nottingham. Uh, but, uh, but regardless, uh, we still love him. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of where we met, um, really, and um, uh, and the rest is history. Sure is. There, there's still time though. Every time I, we meet up in Nottingham, uh, Nottingham, as if every time we meet up in London, um, I get nagged and bullied and general peer pressured, and, and I have to go home and then browse houses and flats and jobs in London. But it's not happened yet. But it still could. I was telling Adam this morning that I was actually meant to go to the same event as well. So I had tickets oh. to come to the same event, but then I, I can't remember what happened now that something came up and, and I wasn't able to go. Um, but yeah, I could have I could have been there too in that room, which would have been great. And I didn't kind of get to meet Adam or or, or now you until much later. 
on, which is a shame. Yeah. I think that those kind of events and, and getting LGBT teachers together is, is really important. Um, you, you must have already kind of been a teacher at, at that point to, to agree to go to that kind of event. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your journey into education and into becoming a teacher. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so I don't know how far back I should start, really. Um, this is, I feel like every time I, uh, uh, every time I give an answer, it's going to start with once upon a time, long time ago. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, okay, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to dial it right back. So, um, so I was born in India, like um, Adam said in my intro. And uh, I grew up there, um, went to high school there. Um, I even did a year of uni there. And then my parents um, decided to emigrate to Canada. So, you know, I wasn't going to be left behind. So I went with them. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but while I was in India, while I was, um, in high school and stuff, um, I remember that while studying for our kind of GCSE equivalents, um, I would kind of like sit down with my friends and like teach them, um, and kind of go over stuff with them. And, um, they would be like, Oh my God, you're explaining this so much better. Like, I didn't, I never understood that before, you know? Um, at that point I, I was not, not at all thinking that I was going to go into teaching whatsoever. Um, but, but I remember like that, I, that came back to me when I, when I started to kind of think about teaching a little bit more. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, fast forward while I'm in uni in Canada, I started the program in biochem, you know, thinking, um, so initially I was thinking I was going to go into kind of medicine, uh, because, you know, I'm from an Indian family and if you're not a doctor, what even are you doing? Um, so yeah, so I started out talk thinking, oh, I'm going to go into medicine, started biochemistry. And then I kind of like, as I was like kind of studying it, I was like, you know what, actually, I don't think I like the idea of medicine really um because it sounds like a whole bunch of time spent with um old sick people um which you know which is why the people who become doctors are just so awesome um so anyway at that point i was like mm, not a doctor and then i was like okay maybe i like animals and then therefore i can kind of go into like veterinary science because i was doing a lot of animal courses so i was like oh these sound so cool and then as I'm doing that, I'm like, mm, actually, if you're a vet, you're just seeing like cats and dogs and probably just neutering them and spaying them on a day in day out. So I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So at this point, I'm in like third year and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, and, uh, and it just so happened that I had worked in uh, during the summer, I'd worked in uh, a summer camp and it was a, it was a science and engineering summer camp that was run by our uni. Um, so proper nerd camp. Um, and I worked there and I, and as part of like that, I kind of taught, you know, uh, the little kind of sessions and stuff and we did little experiments and uh, I just had a really, really amazing time there um, and doing it. And that really was a catalyst in me deciding, you know what, this is definitely something that is got potential. I could probably go into this. So quite late um, in my degree, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to go into education. Um, and then I was also then started. So then I started kind of like, gearing my um my uni degree towards following it up with with education so i'd initially kind of started in biochem like i said um and then the way it works in canada is um in order to teach a subject at high school you have to have five full year courses in it um and so i, I had a ton of bio but i didn't have enough chemistry so i took a whole bunch of chemistry courses a whole bunch of biochemistry courses to like satisfy those requirements um, I started doing part-time work at a gymnastics club so I, that could kind of like build my application because it's quite competitive to get into teachers college in Canada because there is um, a surplus of teachers there. So it's, it's quite a competitive environment. Um, and also on top of that, I applied to the, the two unis in, in Toronto 
and one of them that was outside of Toronto, but the two that are in Toronto, so York University, which I was at, and the University of Toronto, they're both the, the most difficult ones to get into as well. So, you know, I was trying to make sure that my application had all the things that, you know, would make me a good candidate, basically. Um, yeah, so, and then um, I luckily got in um, to, to University of Toronto, so I decided to kind of, yeah, go into education there. Um, and then obviously, because there's a of teachers in Canada, once I graduated, there was no jobs. Um, so I was like, oh, this is great. Um, so then I like continued working at the, at the gym and I also started working at a bookstore while trying to like, you know, find, like I tried basically finding job for like a full year, basically. Um, and, uh, and at that point I was like, hmm, this is not working out. So either A, I moved to a different career um, and kind of maybe go use my science degree a little bit. Um, or I'm going to have to move countries because I had friends who'd moved to um, China, Singapore, uh, Middle East, etc., who were in my teaching program and they'd gotten jobs. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to have to move or I'm going to have to like quit and do something else. Um, and I didn't want to quite, I wanted to give teaching a chance because I quite enjoyed my, uh, my experience uh, during my education degree. So I was like, hmm, where can I move? I, did, I wanted to move. I'd been to China before. Um, and so it didn't really appeal to me because I wanted to be somewhere where I could speak the language. So that really narrowed it down to like England, Australia, New Zealand, really. Um, and the only reason I picked England was because I was like, I'll get to see Europe, basically. Um, and my plan was come here for a year, do some traveling, go back to Canada and then teach there. And then eight years later, we're still here. So that's the education journey, I guess. I love I love hearing people's journey journeys to becoming a teacher and yours is 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 a great one kind of cross-continent journey to becoming a teacher <laughs> um one of the things that has been really interesting about the conversations that Adam and I have been having is hearing about teachers experiences in the classroom as a teacher but also mm-hmm. their experiences in the classroom as a child when they're growing up and when we have that conversation with a lot of people it's talking about the British school system and their experience growing up in that but that, that wasn't your experience. So would, oh. would you tell us a little bit about what, what it was like maybe to grow up as a gay child in, in the schools that you were in? Yeah, of course. Um, right. Okay, so I do want to kind of preface this by saying that I am one person and my experience of schooling in India is like what my perception of it is, right? So I'm sure things are different for different people. Um, so anyway, so I grew up in this town in India called Chandigarh. Um, it's uh, it's quite a, a posh town, um, I suppose. Um, and um, it's got really good schools and everything. Um, it's quite a it's quite a normal thing in India for uh, like middle class kids to go to private school. Um, so they're they're very very um, there's a lot of private schools and most people, if, especially if you're middle class or you know not or upper class, I guess, um, you wouldn't go to a, a kind of a state school. You would go to a, a private school. So I went to this Catholic private school um, called Saint Anne's Convent School. So it was kind of um, uh, the admin was all nuns um, from from the kind of local um, cathedral, I guess, um, or I guess the whole branch. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Christian denominations are. Sorry, but um, yeah, the nuns ran the school basically, um, and uh, yeah, so I went there. Um, it was a really, really good school. It, was, it had a really good reputation with regards to academic results and everything. So that's why my parents sent there. Um, my parents sent me there, um, and um, and, and, you know, now when I think about it, I really kind of value how much my parents kind of um, sacrifice of their own income to send their kids to a private school. You know, it was, it's, um, 
um, it's more, the, the fees are like more than, you, similar to here, I suppose, um, the fees to um, private schools are more than uni fees, right? So it's, it was quite a lot of uh, money for them to send two of their kids there. Um, and uh, yeah, the school is really good in terms of kind of academics, et cetera. Um, our class sizes are ridiculous compared to here, right? So we had about 50 people in each class. Um, and, um, but, it is, but, there, but it's a lot more disciplined. Um, the discipline is really strong in, in the school that I was, I was in. Um, so um, yeah, you just wouldn't have the same kind of behavior management issues that people have here. You know, there's so much respect for teachers and so much respect for education that it would just be, um, I don't know, it would be really ridiculous to even consider that you would mess about in a class while the teacher's there, you know? So um, I, I, you know, that was, that was, that was what the class environment was like. So within the class, you, your focus was on the teacher, you were learning, you know, and on top of that, your parents are always reminding you how much they're paying for their your education. So, you know, you're also thinking that, oh, I better not mess around because uh, my parents are trying to put me through school here. Um, so yeah, so it was quite a good school, um, really, really um, good teachers. Um, everything was in English. Um, so um, all of our subjects other than, um, I suppose, you know, over here, you guys have like immersion schools or in Canada, at least we, we have French immersion schools to French, the other language. So everything's taught in French. Um, and over here, I think there is, um, I know of a couple of schools which are like German immersion. So everything's taught in German. Um, so it, this was an English immersion school in India, right? So um, all of our subjects were in English, except for, of course, the um, Hindi and Punjabi languages, basically. Um, so that I, I attribute that to kind of my, my English. Um, being a being a gay being a gay person child teenager in in India, um, there's not really a, there wasn't really a concept of gay um, if I'm perfectly honest in in India when I was growing up. So um, what we do have a concept of for a very long time um, is is the third gender, which is uh, which are which are called hijras, um, and so and they're kind of um, they're almost kind of on the uh, on the outskirts of society, I suppose, you know, you, you, they're not really part of society, but they appear as if out of nowhere, as if out of a fantasy world, whenever there is, you know, a birth or a wedding or something, and they come in and they're, um, they like mythologically, their blessing is meant to be really good. So they kind of like just appear out of nowhere and they, they hear about wherever there's been a child or if there's been a wedding, etc., and And they come and they dance and, and as part of their, um, dancing, they like clap a lot, right? So that's what they're kind of associated with, like loud clapping, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that's that's a concept that's very um, very um, set in India, I suppose. Um, but being gay isn't really um, isn't really something that's um, kind of concrete. Um, so when I was growing up, because I didn't necessarily fit the um, norms of, let's say. Uh, uh, typical red-blooded male child. Um, so I was teased, um, you know, in school, uh, kind of being called hijra, etc. So that's the kind of, that's what you would get bullied for in India if you were a gay kid, I suppose, uh, at least in my school. Um, you know, you got, you got teased about being girly and therefore, and because you weren't a girl, so therefore you must be, you know, the third gender hijra, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, but, you know, and then and obviously as I, as I became a teacher, I, I learned to I don't know, suppress myself more and more um, so that I wasn't giving off so much of a, a female vibe, um, I suppose. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I was quite lucky to have really good, good groups of friends and stuff. But, you know, even within groups of friends, like even they would like kind of tease me about that, uh, about that sometimes. Um, it's just, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it, as, as a gay 
teenager, you just kind of used to that and you just kind of, it becomes almost part and parcel of your schooling. Um, right. And uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not glad that it happened, but I'm also kind of aware that it helped me grow as an individual and therefore it helped me kind of cope with things like that. And therefore I suppose it was useful in that regard. Um, um, but yeah, so that's what it was like. We, there was never any discussion of anything gay related ever in, in school or anything. Um, and um, you could, you know what, the, the funny thing is you could kind of like mess around with your, your, your male friends um, if you wanted to, like, you know, on like sleepovers or whatever, but that wasn't really seen as, there was never even seen as something gay, but it was more like, um, yeah, I don't know, it was just like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't really labeled anything. It was just kind of like, oh, we're guys, we don't have access to girls. So, you know, because um, it's quite a, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, premarital sex is just not something that's common in India. Well, it wasn't when I was younger, at least, or at least where I grew up. Um, and so that meant that, um, yeah, that just meant that you didn't, you, you know, even if you had a girlfriend, you you'd essentially like marry her before you like, I suppose, had sex or whatever, I guess. Um, so yeah, anyway, so so even though, even if you like messed around with, with male friends, it wasn't seen as gay, it was just like seen as being a teenager and just part of growing up or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, so, so that's kind of, I suppose that's kind of what it was like growing up in India. And uh, I suppose when I was figuring it out, when I could like figure, when I was kind of figuring out, that's when like internet had come into our lives. And um, so um, I suppose I was quite fortunate in the sense that I was able to look it up. And there was obviously a lot of self-hate and I was like, oh, I'm like this and that's blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, um, I remember being suicidal for a bit, um, but I'm glad that, you know, I didn't um, dwell on it too long. Um, cause being like a sciencey person, I sought information. And so I just, um, looked up a lot of stuff and, uh, and the internet said that it was okay to be gay. <laughs> so I was like, I guess it's okay to be gay. Um, but, uh, but at that point it did kind of shift my mind a little bit in the sense that I was thinking there's no way I can stay in India and be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the only way out would be for me to move somewhere else. Um, obviously unbeknownst to me, my parents were already doing that, like without my struggle, they were just doing that because we have extended family there and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, I remember thinking like, you know, well, one way or another, I'm going to have to leave the country or maybe I'll become an activist and probably get shot. Um, one of those two. Um, but yeah, I remember like at that point, once I had come to terms with it myself, I was like, hmm, time for me to, uh, kind of start thinking about my future a little bit. I think the parallels there are really interesting. Obviously mm-hmm. the the language used to discriminate and the the cultural references are, are different, but actually the experience you've just described mirrors so much of the experience that we hear of people in British schools as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not w- without that kind of end outcome where you realize that I'm going to have to leave this place or or risk being at harm. I suppose that's the, the big difference, but mm-hmm. I, I, I just found it really interesting, the kind of parallels of discrimination and questioning and shame that that came through your story then. Yeah, they're they're very similar, I suppose. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. There's some really, really. <laughs> well, you know, there's, it's fascinating, and there's so many interesting themes, and we could discuss this for hours. Um, we won't, don't worry. <laughs> um, but I think what I found interesting from that is the idea of the policing of gender there, because mm-hmm. you know, when we talk, think about gender and sexuality, we always say we need to think about it in relevance to time and space, geographically, and, and things like that. But even in a country with very, very different cultural norms and things like that, 
gender is still being policed in a very, very specific way. And you said that, that being called a hijra was almost um, an insult if you if your masculinity wasn't, you know, yeah. conforming it, to the expectations. It's, it's, it, it would be seen as a major insult. Like, because the thing is, if you were, let's say, if you were a female who was very man-like look, man looking, I suppose, then you would probably get teased about that too. You know, and if you were a guy who was behaving girly, then you would probably be teased by that as well. But that's because that's the concept that is there. Like, you know, just like you said, like here people might tease you for being gay. Like, oh, you're so gay. Whereas like, because the concept is there, but still mm. they, there is the word there as well too, you know. Your experience there, I think is this experience of many LGBT people in schools with a lot of internalized kind of uh, homophobia or um, anxiety, those types of feelings. To what extent has that kind of inspired you now to want to be a visible role model and to make sure that students don't go through similar experiences? Um, it has, um, I suppose, initially when I started teaching, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be out to students or not. I knew I wanted to be out to people in general. So I remember when I had interviewed at my school that I was going to work at, I wanted to like to be clear to, you know, the, at the interview that I'm gay and that, you know, I didn't, do you know what I mean? Like I didn't want to work for somebody who I would then have to hide my sexuality around. And um, so I had kind of made it quite clear in my interview. I was like, oh, I just, I do want to mention that I'm gay and like, I don't want it to be a, an issue. And if it is like, I, you know, I just want to know basically, um, you know, it wasn't an issue. And so that wasn't, a, that wasn't a big deal at all. But I do remember when I first started teaching, there wasn't, I don't think there were any out teachers in our school really, even though there were gay teachers, I don't think they were out. Um, and and I, I initially, when I remember thinking about it, or I remember I'd like asked somebody about it and they'd said, um, well, it's none of their business, um, you know? And, and, I, and for a long time, I stuck to that really, because I was like, well, yeah, it's none of their business. Um, and, you know, some students are obviously more perceptive than others. And I remember like one of them had like an asked me outright and, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was just to deny it. And I was just like, no, you know, and and then and, and I really I felt so bad about doing that when I when that when it happened, you know, I just I didn't even like I didn't try to deflect it. I didn't try to say that's none of your business or anything like that. I just said no, of course not. Right. Like that's one of the things that like and I just really I had such a bad time with that. I like just mulled it over and I had over and over and over. And I was like, why did I do that? Why would I, you know, I'm, I'm out, I'm gay. I, like, I've accepted that. Like, why did I have to, um, to this, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 year old person, like, why did I have to tell them? And like, just, just as a knee jerk, I just had to say that, you know, and um, that just showed that to me, I was like, you know what, I'm not quite, I'm clearly not comfortable enough to be out to, out to students yet. So, but then I did, since that, since that point, I started taking steps to be out. Um, so, I think a year after that, I left the school and I moved to a different school. And when I moved to the different school, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna be out, like from kind of like, you know, um, from a from a kind of starting point. So I never, so I never um, denied it if a student kind of asked me directly, etc. So that was something that I kind of started doing. Um, I started doing things really, really like in a very small step. So I'd like the first thing I did, I think, was I changed my Twitter bio and I put a little little rainbow flag in there and as and I remember doing that I remember like being like oh my god like all the students who like probably like are looking at them you know nothing like they're like nobody cared um and then obviously I remember in like lesson as well I remember somebody was like sir have you got like have you got um have you got a, a girlfriend or something and I was like no um and I was like but I have a boyfriend 
um, or no, no, so, so, sorry. Their, I think their question was like, um, oh, sir, do you have a fit, fit um, girlfriend or is your girlfriend fit? I was like, mm, don't have a girlfriend, but I, I have a boyfriend. And they were like, oh, is he fit? And I was like, well, I think so. So do you know what I mean? Like it just, they were so <laughs> quick to change that sentence to go, oh, okay, well then, you know. And then I remember other, another class, like when I like mentioned it and the students were like, oh, I had no idea, sir. I'd never, I would never think. And I was like, well, why not? And he's like, well, I don't know. I just never, I would never imagine that. I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to say it as a compliment, but uh, I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, so I suppose that's one of those one of the things. So obviously some students way really perceptive. They pick it up right away. Whereas like others are surprised when they find out, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, so since then I've kind of, I've kind of made sure that I'm out. Um, I even, so this year in my new school, not this year, sorry, in my new school, I've actually been wearing a little rainbow flag on my lanyard as well. So, you know, little things like that, I've like tried to make myself visible. I don't, I've, I haven't like, I don't know, I haven't done like an assembly being like, hey guys, I'm gay, just so y'all know. Uh, <laughs> but I have kind of made an effort to not um, hide purposely things. So I, I'll happily mention things like, um, you know, my boyfriend's family has this, you know, or, or if we're discussing a career or something, you know, I'd be like, oh, actually one of my boyfriend's friends, like he does this and, you know, so it's, it's, I've, I've just like a non-gay teacher would mention things in their regular conversation the same way I would do so. Like I, I, I don't skirt around it anymore um, because I've, I just, that, that event when me, when I just denied it to that, to that kid, I just, Oh, it just bothered me so much that I was like, well, this needs to change. We just cannot possibly continue. That story, that story of becoming more visible, I was kind of clapping along as you were saying <laughs> it. Um, but I think so many teachers, when they enter the education as teachers rather than students, their understanding of what education should look like and what schools should look like comes from their experience of their own education as, as children and young people. So we, we a lot of us did not see vis, um, LGBT lives visibly in educational spaces as children and as young people. So I think as we enter into them as teachers, we, we kind of almost assume that that's what education should look like and that we shouldn't see LGBT lives visibly in education because we didn't yeah. when we experienced education. And, and that was certainly the same for me when I became a teacher. It, I, it, it would never have crossed my mind to be out in my, to my class or to discuss um, that with my class because I, my experience as a child and as a young person was that I didn't see that. And I suppose I kind of, I see a lot of my journey in what you were describing there in, become, in starting to question that and realize actually the importance in those small, those small opportunities to be visible with the yeah. lanyards and referring to your partner or yeah. just the small conversations that you can have in class that's so interesting the more people we speak to I think they have had similar journeys I think we all forget like we're all socialized into shame really aren't we you know most of us grew up at a time when it wasn't acceptable to be out as LGBT so we're taught to have that shame around it so that confidence isn't there at all and it's quite interesting that when you started the school the teacher said to you or the head teacher that it's none of their business to the students but there's an implication there that there's something to be embarrassed about isn't there or something to be shameful about and I heard that when I started at my school and I'm sure we've all heard that so it's that implication that well it's fine but you know maybe it's not something that should be discussed whereas like you say it's perfectly fine for a heterosexual person to discuss their partner so I think it's yeah. really, really important to, to look at those two parallels 
Yeah, I just I think I I I don't want it to be like uh, I don't want it to be like oh this is the lesson I'm going to come out to my students in you know I I almost rather mention it as an aside while I'm teaching something else etc you know to be like oh by the way um, and uh, and it's interesting because when it happens first in a class you can see some of them just like all of a sudden they like they're like you know they perk up and they're like oh did that just happen did he just say that oh my god is he you know, and, and obviously they're not going to say anything out loud at that moment, but like at that moment, you know, they've clocked it um, and they've kind of, but you know, it just, yeah. Um, I suppose the reason I kind of do it that way is because I just teach like I normally would, you know, and, and, and nothing changes. Um, so, so I think it all, all I suppose I'm doing with that is just expanding their mind. Oh, we, you know, we, we have this teacher and he teaches like this and stuff. And, oh, he also happens to be gay. Okay. Um, and that, that also, I, I really hope that it really shifts in their mind what they think is a gay person. Uh, because if they've never met one, um, or if they haven't met anybody who's, I mean, they have, but like, they just don't know. Um, you know, if they, if they've not like, if they don't have a gay person in their life, like a gay uncle or something like that, then they just don't have a, they don't have a, blueprint for what what you know that could be and therefore they might be thinking oh it's the people on tv that we see who are gay who are very you know what i mean so it's i think it's good that i mention it and they're like all oh, right so he he's gay too okay cool um you know and um yeah so overall my experience with students at least has been in, like quite positive I really like that idea of offering an alternative blueprint. So you're right. So many young people and children will base their ideas of what an LGBT person looks like based on what they've seen on, on TV and in films. And actually you, you being able to show them that, that the LGBT people are teachers, that they, they're all these different things. And, um, that and just... they can be non-white. Yeah, I think that's so important too, because actually, when we think about the role models for LGBT people, and we've made this point before, they are predominantly white, middle class gay men. Yeah. <laughs> so to be able to represent a different, what a gay man can look like as an Indian man or, you know, Indian Canadian, that's incredible to give them that range of role models in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt, I think that was another thing that I felt like I had to represent. Um, and also the science thing, you know, so it's in my head, I was like, if I'm being visible as a role model, then I'm telling, I'm, I'm letting students know that actually you can be Indian um, and you can be gay, you can be a teacher, you can be gay and you can be liking science. You can love science and still be gay. Um, and that was something that all three of those things are me. So I was like, well, I have to make sure that I um, am able to kind of impart that on um, to my students too. And do you feel a burden of responsibility to represent all those? Or is that kind of your motivation part or one of the aspects that makes you want to be a teacher? I think there is, there is a bit of a, I suppose, I don't see it as a burden, but it does feel like something that, well, I've got to do it. You know, I'm, I'm in the unique position that I am in. And if, if people like me don't do it, then who will? Um, and so, so I'm not sure if I would necessarily call it a burden, um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, is, it is something that I think I feel responsibility towards. Um, but then again, you know, like in general, I feel like a lot of um, gay um, or I suppose LGBT plus individuals because of, you know, all of the, uh, the mess that is our childhood with all the shame and all the stuff kind of rolled in. Um, because of that, you know, a lot of us end up being um, overachievers because we, that's the validation that, you know, that it's the, 
it's it's when we do things like you know uh, achieve well is when uh, we get kind of praised by people and, and and you know it's almost like oh I think it's this what's that book called there's a book called The Velvet Rage I'm sure you've heard of it yeah. um, I, I didn't particularly connect with it too much but it did have some kind of parallels obviously that I could so I particularly I think that book is really good if you were uh, if you are um, uh, a white gay man in America I think it's really really it will speak to you loads. Um, maybe even if you're in the UK, I guess. Um, but it didn't really speak to me due to my own unique kind of upbringing and everything. So it was very different for me, but it did have, there are some points in there that I remember like being like kind of connecting with. Um, and uh, and one of them was about this, you know, overachieving and everything and, and kind of like um, this hunger for, uh, for acceptance and for um, this hunger for, um, Almost like validation, isn't it? Yeah, like validation. That's an ex- Yeah, that's exactly the word I'm looking for. Actually, yeah. So it's the, it's the it's the oh yeah. If I do if I do things really well, then I'm validated and I'm a I'm kind of appreciated and I'm 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 good. And the negative side of me that is inside me can then be ignored because I've done all these things. Um, so yeah, perhaps that's part of it. You know, that's why maybe I feel responsible and maybe I feel like I have to be a role model and stuff. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I part of it's definitely the fact that I would like young people that I teach now to be able to see that, ah, that is also possible. So, you know, and, and, and somebody like a teacher is reasonably successful. You know, they've managed to obviously go to uni, they've managed to get a job They're in all of those things. So it's, I think it's good that we can provide like a normalized gay person as an example right because otherwise otherwise all the only ones they're looking at are celebrities right um or or talk show hosts and things and and that's quite removed from from regular life really i feel like so the more the more bog standard professions that people can come out in the better you know so the book that you referenced there the velvet rage i agree with you that i think it is very much an, an american white gay experience and often kind of wealthy and cosmopolitan as well um so there are limitations to it but what it, what it does do really well is narrate that kind of legacy of shame that leads um leads queer people to behave in certain ways as adults and one of those um, like you talked about there is that idea of overachieving to compensate for this idea that you you maybe have that people won't like you. So you, yeah. you go out of your way to overachieve, to compensate for this idea. And yeah. I think what's really what's really special is that kind of visibility that you're talking about and the work that you're doing to, to make the idea of a, um, of a gay teacher more visible in schools starts to break down some of the things, some of the societal things that cause that legacy of shame. And I think so, so much of that kind of legacy of shame and that fear comes from not seeing um, LGBT lives represented as a child and as a young person. And the work that you're doing in your school now starts to break down that barrier and to, to show, to be visible in schools. Am I, am I right in thinking that you work in an all boys school? I do, yeah, I do work in all boys school. Although I don't necessarily feel like I'm doing loads. I just, I'm just being a, a visible teacher, that's it. I'm not, because I know there's people who are, incredible um, educators across the country who do a lot more than I do. I always feel like I'm not doing enough, but um, what I do is just be a visible person. It's funny, isn't it? I think that feeling of not feeling like feeling like you're doing enough goes back to the earlier point of constantly feeling like <laughs> you're do, doing more to get validation and to get acceptance. But I think you should never underestimate the power of what you're doing. And it can be frustrating, not frustrating, but 
I think when you were a young person, if you'd seen a gay teacher, the impact that would have had on you. Now, the teacher might not get that feedback in the same way we might not know the impact we're having. But by being visible as an LGBT teacher and having that openness, you, it's probably immeasurable the amount of people that you've managed to change their lives or change their thinking, which is quite incredible. Have you had any students come to you and sort of say, sir, you've been a real inspiration or, you know, something that's kind of explained um, the impact no, you may have had? On I have well, this is why this is what I mean. Like, I don't know if I do enough, um, but uh, no, I have not really had any students kind of uh, say anything specific to me with regards to sexuality or anything. Um, I've definitely had like students talk to me about um, how I've like um, encouraged them to go into chemistry and stuff. Um, but I have not really had anybody, uh, any student come up to me and say, oh, by the way, excellent role model you are as a gay person. <laughs> That's what I was like, hey, I'll come out too. Those kind of conversations with young people are, are brilliant, but actually they, they are really rare. And I know personally, when I was in high school, if I'd seen a gay teacher um, living their life openly, I would not have felt brave enough to say you inspire me, but I would have been inspired. <laughs> and I suppose um, it's that thing with teaching that you you don't always get to see the kind of fruits of, of the work that you're doing yeah. because they they come much later. Yeah. I'd, I'd really like to pick up on the the kind of all boys school thing if we can. Do you think there are any specific challenges in developing LGBTQ inclusion in single sex schools? Um, there's. So I, I have worked previously, all the schools I've worked at have been, um, have been mixed, uh, mixed sex schools. Um, this is the only one I've worked in, which is all boys. Um, I have honestly not noticed too big of a difference with regards to teaching, etc. cetera. Um, but I think when you talk about LGBT plus inclusion, I think it's a lot harder in the lower years so we, we have a mixed, uh, we have a mixed sex six form. Um, um, and it seems to be that students tend to come out when they're in sixth form, or at least, you know, more feel more comfortable, or, or at least some of them definitely do come out while they're in sixth form rather than when they're in lower school. Um, and that, I don't know, I, I think that there, when you were growing up as a, as a young, um, young boy, and you are trying to fit in with your peer group when your peer group um, acceptance and your peer group uh, um, kind of um, perception of you is really important to you. At that point, you really try and stay within the straight and narrow, pun intended, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so I think, yeah, I think it's quite a limited range that you're allowed to be as a, as a guy, you know, and as soon as you go outside of it, you know that your peers are going to question you on it um, because they're very observant of each other. You know, as soon as any tiny thing is said, you know, right away, they're like, oh, you know, and, and they, they obviously there's obviously all this pressure for them to kind of be within that range. Um, and I can imagine, I would imagine that that would be quite a, quite a lot of, I mean, it's, it would be the same like kind of stress for, for a gay, you know, person as well within the, um, within the single sex school. Um, we do, again, we, we have really good, um, and all the schools I've worked at, we've got, we've got really good kind of policies around homophobic language, et cetera. But you still know that that is that is still we still have a lot of work to do in the sense that it's still it's still not seen as a non-issue amongst peers in high school. So, you know, they might not 
most of them, I would say, might not bat an eye, like, once they know that I'm a gay teacher, you know, but when it comes to within their own peer group, um, there, it's still quite a big deal, I think. It's quite a, it's still seen as quite a negative thing um, because they'll shy away from any kind of um, notion or any kind of indication that might associate them with being gay. Um, and, you know, if you were comfortable with your sexuality or if you were, uh, or if being gay was seen as a non-issue, then they wouldn't bother with that, you know? Um, and you can see the, the students who are very confident and the ones who are very comfortable with themselves, they are not bothered by these things at all. Um, and, and I suppose, and that's more prevalent in sixth form, again, compared to lower school, you know, in lower school, I think you, as a teenager, there's so much, there's so much happening in your brain um, that, you know, it's quite difficult to, um, you know, you're, I suppose you're still forming your sense of self, right? And, and, and if the society um, still, um, you know, hasn't made it clear to you that it, this is something that is normal and acceptable, because um, there is there's still not, you know, still not normal and acceptable um, to be gay, um, particularly within some, some communities. Um, um, there's been, you know, an increase of um, the conservative right, um, given the recent kind of political stuff, but with it comes homophobia kind of packaged, right? Um, and so, um, so and, and there's obviously, there's obviously, there's, I, st I definitely think that there is less acceptance within ethnic communities. So I know that within like Indian communities and, and stuff like there's, it's definitely not, you know, seen as an, as a, just a normal thing, you know, it's, it's very big deal. You, you'd probably like hide it from your family and things, etc. So, so one of the key themes we want to think about in this podcast is how to make more inclusive spaces. And I think you're right. There's definitely a challenge there in single skeck schools. You tend to get this, this kind of um, inflated sense of hyper-masculinity, which isn't helpful for anyone because not only can the, L the LGBT kids don't feel safe, but also it reinscribes boys into what they can and the parameters with which they can and can't express emotion. And it's very restricting. Yeah. How do you think we can make single sex schools more inclusive? So I think there is definitely um, good work being done now, even in, in my school and in other schools about, um, about the education around mental health. So one of the positives is that because mental health has become a bit more of a focus um, and because a lot of mental health issues within boys tend to be around these factors, you know, where, where because they don't know how to outlet emotions. And so they, that kind of ends up causing a lot of, you know, mental health issues. Um, and so, and again, I don't want to pile like all boys in one category, but, you know, um, so, so I think there is, so we've got like, um, so during mental health kind of focus things, I remember we will do things like, um, uh, like male teachers in our school will do a little video where they talk about when they were vulnerable and when they felt bad, when they felt low and when they felt sad and when, you know what I mean? Like, so really kind of, so it's, um, and it's, and it's quite nice to see that, you know, um, I think as a, as a young person who's seeing them as role models, you know, your PE teachers and stuff. Um, so if they're kind of showing that on video and like showing that they were vulnerable once and, and that they've had to deal with things like that and this is how they dealt with it um, and that you should talk to people, etc. So I think that's really promoted things like that. So, but the bigger 
product of that of that I feel like is that it does make spaces more inclusive because because you your emotional range expands because you understand that you can actually um, speak about things and and that makes you more empathetic as well um, towards others um, and I suppose you have to be empathetic towards your friends who might be struggling with their sexuality or coming out as gay etc um, so I think there is good work kind of being done there I think in order to make it more inclusive um, the best like we kind of discussed the small things, I think the biggest thing that people can do is have an LGBT club, but more importantly, it has to be something that is run by an ally. I think that it's the same kind of reason why, uh, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, like, you know, a lot of black people have not felt like it's not their responsibility to make people anti-racist. They've got to do that work. Um, and so it's really important that allies kind of champion that. So in, in the same way uh, within the LGBT, LGBT plus community, if allies, non-LGBT plus people, if they kind of champion the cause, if they are the ones who are involved in running the LGBT, LGBT club um, at a school, then I think that's really, really powerful. If there is a LGBT history month assembly and your, uh, and your, I don't know, alpha male SLT member runs it, that's really powerful. Um, so I think I think the more of those things will, will will kind of make a difference. Your staff wearing a little rainbow badge, you know, that's a big, big thing, you know, having a little rain, rainbow thing on your lanyard. Because all it does is like it'll it'll and again, you should only do it if you feel comfortable enough to talk about it, because you know, it might be that a student asks, Well, why have you got that, sir? Or why have you got that, miss? And you might say, Well, I'm just I'm just trying to support the fact that. LGBT plus people are also, you know, and, and, or if you're a gay teacher, then you got to prepare for the conversation as to why are you wearing that? Are you gay? And, you know, I've had that, I've had the situation happen to me. Uh, and again, you know, it's one of those things where um, you've obviously have to feel comfortable enough to, to wear it um, and be okay with whatever comes with it. But I think little things like that, I think would make, would make the single sex schools more inclusive, I think. The thing that I really love about what you just said is that idea of a, a straight cis ally running this kind of work in schools. And I think it's it's really important. And the, the parallel you drew to Black Lives Matter movement is really good as well. One, one A metaphor that a friend used um, to explain to me, he said that if you had a tree planted in your garden and it, it grew so big that it casts shade on your neighbor's garden, the, the, the impact is felt in your neighbor's garden, but the problem is rooted in your own. And whose job is it then to, to try and solve that problem? And I think that largely the problem of homophobia in schools is, is rooted in, um, in the straight community and having a straight, um, assist straight teacher stand up and lead that work in a school is so powerful because it shows actually that um, this kind of work and the idea of inclusion isn't just important to to queer people to people who identify as part of the lgbt community it's important to our school and to all of us as as an issue of kind of humanity yeah we just need we just need a jill from it's a sin you know Absolutely. we need we need a lot of jills lots of jills just to pick up on that further i think our sexuality and gender can be an invisible difference i think it's really important to create those opportunities for visibility and in the ways you've described there with allyship particularly there's a sort of the laddie slt maybe leading that assembly 
that creates that visibility and almost helps punctures that heteronormativity or that very stagnant idea of what masculinity should be. So that sounds such like a positive way to approach it. I, I guess, I suppose one of the ways that we can think of it, I mean, we did have, you know, the AIDS crisis did kind of highlight the plight of, uh, of the gay community. Um, mm. And I suppose it did do kind of a similar thing that George Floyd's death did, I suppose, in the sense that it really raised the awareness that gay people exist and that they're being ignored by the government and that an entire epidemic has, you know, decimated the community and nothing's been done about it. And, um, and so I think that was, I think we have had a similar thing, I suppose, with the AIDS epidemic, but obviously not, not with the social acceptance and, and all that stuff with that. Because like you mentioned, because being um, in a lot of cases, being LGBT plus is a, is an invisible, um, not in all cases, but yeah, in some of them, um, because it's invisible, um, it's quite easy to benefit from some of the status quo things, um, especially if you're hiding it really well. If you're, the, if you're somebody who can't or doesn't want to, then obviously it comes at a price, I suppose. You talk about the, the AIDS crisis and earlier you mentioned Jill from It's a Sin. And I think that in, in my experience, It's a Sin itself has been a, a kind of a moment of conversation um, in, with my friends and my family. Watching that drama together and reflecting on those stories that have gone untold or certainly haven't been amplified enough, having that, com that has really opened up some really powerful conversations with my friends, um, my colleagues and with my family that they wouldn't have been open to previously. And moments like that, allow allow you to reflect on i suppose the 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 challenges of the 1980s for gay men but also then allow people to be more open to conversations about the challenges that still exist now and i've yeah. had some really interesting conversations off the back of of watching that show with my family and with colleagues about how some of those challenges particularly the issue of shame which is highlighted really well in Jill's conversation in the final yeah. episode at the mm -hmm. beach the, the issue of shame and the challenge that that brings still manifests itself in so many ways now. And I've been able to have that conversation, which previously, before my colleagues and family had watched It's a Sin, I don't know how I would have started that kind of conversation. Yeah, we almost we almost need, um, I almost feel like, I know Pride is a nice, great big party, but I think, you know, I think we almost need to really start to get more of the extended family to come and attend pride i think that's i think if if every every lgbt person lgbt plus person does that i think that would be really good because it then no longer is just a thing for the gays to do um it's it's a community event and i know that uh, the the gay pride london and stuff will try and do things to make it more community friendly and you know have like family day and stuff but but it's it's i think it's just if we could just push that you know throughout the gay grapevine and and get all the mummies and daddies and grandpas and everybody to attend i mean it's in september this year isn't it so um so maybe uh maybe we can get that going and by then uh but i think that'll be good it'll be good you know because it's 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 about the, the time is gone when we had to all stick together and form a little community of our own because nobody else would care for us um but instead of disintegrating our community, I think what we should do is just expand it to all the others who have now chosen to become part of it. It's a sin is such an incredible 
incredible piece of production. And I just want Russell T Davies to now do a show around Section 28. I think what you've highlighted really well in what you said there is the the distinction between space and spaces and how both of them are really important. It's really important for LGBT people to have spaces that are specifically for them and where they feel safe to kind of express themselves and to meet other LGBT people. But it's also important to build space in the rest of the world for them too. And I think what you're saying is really important. We Pride has, um, Pride can be a safe space for LGBT people, but it also needs to be a space where we can invite other people in and and start these conversations. And like you said, start to build a, a wider family of people who are aware of the difficulties that LGBT ha- people have. And I suppose joining us in that in that fight for progress. Yeah, exactly. And and um, there's there's some incredible things obviously happening now. Like um, you know, the census is going to record for the first time if you're LGBT, which is incredible. I think it's amazing, and I think anybody listening to the podcast should definitely, um, you know, kind of participate in that. Um, and yeah, just you know, there are some good things happening, and you know, we're kind of moving in the right direction and stuff. But it's I think a lot of us well maybe because we grew up in a slightly different time area where it wasn't as acceptable and therefore we, we are less likely to take some of the things as granted. Um, whereas I guess if you were born in the 2000s, you know, you're just, you've never really lived in a world where um, gay representation wasn't on TV and, um, you know, um, and gay MPs didn't exist. And, um, you know, it's, you know, you've lived in a world where Love, Simon, a rom-com has come out, you know. Yeah. So it's it's quite a different time to when we were growing up. And I think it's also about the more of the idea of integration rather than inclusion or acceptance, which has been the rhetoric for the last, well, since the late 60s, I suppose, rather than in- including us, that integration. And that's such a positive way of doing it in the way you've described. Yeah, there was this, uh, there was this really cool, um, at the at a different LGBT plus event that I'd gone to, which was, uh, which was around STEM careers. Um, one of the speakers, she'd mentioned this really incredible line and I was like, this is just so, just so good. Um, and she was saying, um, being tolerant is like being invited to the party, uh, but being inclusive is like being asked to dance. <laughs> um, and so I feel like that's such a good way to kind of put, you know, it's, I think we are definitely in the tolerance stage <laughs> with uh, with being gay. Uh, I think people know that they can't just go around being super homophobic because they'll get in trouble, etc. So we're definitely in the tolerance zone. Now we just need to be um, asked it's time to dance. dance. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's brilliant. <laughs> we're going to have to bring this conversation to a close at some point soon. Before we do, we're talk- you're just talking then about that idea of building inclusion rather than tolerance what would be your advice to maybe a new lgbt teacher or a teacher who wants to do more to make their classrooms more inclusive um i think that i think if you're a new teacher um or if you're just kind of deciding that you're going to be an out lgbt teacher i think you should just take it as slow as you like um, like I said, you know, my first step was just putting a little rainbow flag in my little Twitter bio. That was a big step for me. You know, that was that was that kind of was the little first domino that kind of toppled the rest of the things I was worrying about. Um, so, you know, something even as little as that, um, you know, you don't you don't worry. You don't have to 
prepare a speech that you're going to tell your students that you're gay or anything, you know, just, just do the little things. And, and I think just do it, whatever feels most comfortable to you, because you don't want to be a role model at the expense of your own well-being. Um, you know, it's really important that you feel comfortable and that you you feel that you'll, you'll be supported if you do decide to be an open teacher. You know, if you're, if you're in a school where you feel like, the um, the management isn't necessarily going to be supportive. Well, then don't do it because you know you're going to be putting yourself in a um, in a vulnerable position, uh, and it's difficult to be in a vulnerable position without having support. Um, so other than that, you know, do the little things. Put a little flag in there. Uh, maybe have a little bulletin board that highlights. Uh, whatever is within your subject, but is LGBT related. So like, for example, within like bio, we've got, uh, we, we teach briefly about IVF, but we never discuss that IVF is like the main way that LGBT couples can have children. You know, it's just, that's, so, so when I, if I teach that, I'll mention that, um, you know, so including it as part of the curriculum, wherever you can um, definitely helps challenging anytime somebody makes an assumption about, uh, LGBT things just you're not you don't have to necessarily preach to them you don't have to be like oh no you're wrong but if you said something like that's an interesting thing that you've mentioned just now um, have you thought about xyz because um, it's really powerful if you get them to think on their own prejudices and then you know then they they themselves come to the community like oh well yeah that, that, that's right like <laughs> I well, just a very simple example, like when I, so I have earrings and um, I've sometimes had uh, little kids be like, oh, why are you wearing earrings? Are you a girl? And I'll say, well, am I a girl? And they're like, no. I'm like, and am I wearing earrings? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, so I guess I can be a boy and still wear earrings. So, you know, it's a very simplistic conversation, obviously, but, you know, having them kind of expand their own brains, we're like, oh, I guess, so it means that you can be a guy and wear earrings or, I don't know, wear heels or play with dolls, whatever. <laughs> I think that's brilliant advice. I mean, I think, I mean, like, you know, all of us have been teaching for quite a few years, but you're right, it's a journey. It takes time. You don't walk in on day one and get your rainbow flags out and think, right, I'm going to challenge the establishment. It takes time and you grow confidence and you start to think about what impact you can have in your sphere of influence and all those different things. But that example you just gave there of challenging the kid, you're almost disrupting the norms there of the school, not in a dramatic or radical way, but that child will suddenly think differently about that. Oh, maybe you can wear earrings and, and be male. I loved what you said about the importance of being a, being visible and being a role model, but not being a role model at the expense of your own well-being and your own comfort and safety in your profession. I think that's, that's really important because on this podcast, we're having these conversations about how to be visible, how to be a role model. But you're right. You, that that has to happen when you feel like you can do that and you're comfortable to do that, and it isn't going to impact your well-being to start doing that kind of work. It's like LGBT first aid, right? Like first aid training. The first thing to tell you is you got to make sure you're safe first. So you know you can be the LGBT plus first aider for your for your school, for your class, for your students, but you got to make sure you're safe first. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, this has been such a fascinating conversation and there's been so many interesting topics. And again, like Joseph said, we could talk about this all day, um, but sadly we have to let you go. From this conversation, we can identify there are still lots of areas that pose challenges for LGBT teachers. However, we've talked about a lot of progress and a lot of positive things in this conversation. And it's really important for us that this podcast is uh, a positive space. With that in mind, our final question is, what is the best thing about being an LGBT teacher? The best thing about being an LGBT 
teacher who is visible is that I get to be myself and I don't have to worry that somebody's going to think something about me because, you know, I'm, they already know. So I, I, I think I'm quite happy that I can be my authentic self with students, with staff, with parents, uh, because, you know, it's not a, it's not, I'm not, not hiding anything from them. Um, and I think that does wonders for, for, for you as an educator. The listeners can't see this, but me and Joseph are nodding so furiously. <laughs> Nod is so hard. It actually hurts. I need to rest my head. Yeah. I could have said it better myself. We should start doing the... the yes. Like, snaps. <laughs> right, we'll incorporate that for the next series. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just so much fun to talk about. Like, I don't know. It's it, it, These are the kind of conversations that I would love to have on a, like, a regular basis. You know, it's... Um, you know, when you like hang out with your friends, like this is the things I want to like discuss. It's mm-hmm. it's quite cool to kind of be able to discuss this with, and then, you know, with other LGBT teachers, like obviously you can discuss it because they get it, you know, and uh, um, it kind of like reminds me of like chats that you would have in uni, you know, like in uni, you, you were in that zone where you could like have these chats and nobody's going to be like, why are you talking about this? Let's talk about, you know, Big Brother or whatever. Like, like nobody at uni like said that, you know, they would be like, oh yeah, that's a really cool point that you just made, you know? Um, so I do miss, I do miss these uh, kind of conversations about, about stuff. But um, I think that's where this, this whole podcast idea came from because Adam mm. and I kind of had, were running these different Zoom events and having these fascinating conversations. And then after the hour they ended and no one else could have, could be in the room to hear it because it's, yeah. it's a closed event. So I guess part of, um, part of what me and Adam are kind of wanting to do is to, is to amplify those conversations and to invite other people into them. Like you were saying about pride and widening that circle. You can yeah. sometimes feel like there are no LGBT teachers. Like you go to one of these events and you get excited and empowered and then you go back to your place of work and you look around and think, do they really mm. exist? Was that, yeah. was that a mirage or something? <laughs> so, well, it's always, you know what? It's always a surprise because like, so we have LGBT teachers in our school, but like, it's not like we have our own little club. Like, it's not like we're like, <laughs> hey, you guys, we're all LGBT plus. Let's just have lunch together on Fridays. And the other thing that I <laughs> wanted to say earlier, which I didn't pick up on, but I just wanted to say to both of you, is you were talking about the importance of mental health work and building empathy in your school and I kind of live my life in two worlds where I do work about building empathy in schools and mental health um, conversations with children and then I do work about building inclusive classrooms and when you were ha- when you were saying that I was like that those two things are actually a Venn diagram with a massive bloody intersection that I yeah. hadn't realized because yeah. if we can build empathy into our schools yeah. we start to um, break down the barriers of homophobia because people can yeah. empathize and racism and exactly and you know anti-trans you know feeling like all of that stuff like um as soon as you as soon as you start to yeah exactly like you know it if when people become more understanding it's the same thing that happens when people read a lot right like if you read a lot your your brain expands because you've gotten so many perspectives mm-hmm. and so one of the most important reasons for encouraging reading within students is because they're going to become better people if they read more um you know and uh, and that's 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 what it is and yeah, you're right. Like it's big, 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 big intersection between those two things. Um, oh, I wish you were my teacher, Karen, when I was a kid. <laughs> or even I now. I talk about these things in my lessons. All my lessons are full on chemistry. <laughs> no, you've got very lucky students to have you as a teacher. Oh, thank you. Okay. Um, I could talk, we could talk to you all day, but this has been such a pleasure. So thank you so much for giving me your time this morning. No problem.
Oh, Joseph, that was just the most incredible interview. So good. Right. I'm not joking when I say my head is actually hurting from nodding along and agreeing with everything that Karen was saying. It was fascinating. Genuinely. I wish people could have seen us because we were like two nodding dogs. (laughs) I mean, there was just so many interesting themes. Uh, We could have spent hours talking about each one and I hope that one day we get to revisit some of those. But yeah, just an incredible set of experiences and what a great role model for students as well. Brilliant. And what's so fascinating for me is that Karen has had a completely different life to me, but there are so many parallels in our experiences and, and in how we behave now. And he's, he's just doing great work in his school. Absolutely. I mean, like you say, coming from such a different culture, but actually those experiences mirroring so similarly and that idea of all that internalized shame and that almost that need to overcompensate to get validation. I think that's such a, uh, such a common theme amongst LGBT people. And he explained it so well. At, th- at this point, I'm ready to just cancel my plans and spend the rest <laughs> of the day talking to Karen. It was we'll so get him back on. Yeah, I completely agree. It was amazing. So hopefully we can have him as a future guest, but there's so many interesting themes there. And I really hope the listeners can start some conversations with other people about some of those ideas too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, we'd be really grateful if you could leave a review or a five-star rating. This really helps other educators to find these stories. If you want to continue the conversation or comment on this week's episode, you can find us on Twitter at Pride Progress. Thanks for listening.